You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. This episode, let me tell you, super, super powerful. And we're talking about public enemy number one. All right. Public enemy number one right now. And is it justified that public enemy number one is fat? All right. Today we're talking about the secret life of fat. And I think that this is going to truly blow your mind and you're going to have a new association and possibly even appreciation for what we consider to be public enemy number one when it comes to our health and well-being. And we've got just somebody who's an absolute superstar in this space and who's done the research and put together a wonderful compilation of the data so we can really learn about fat and how to better associate with it. But also, if we're looking to modulate and change our body composition, I think these are some important and some really important things for us to understand and to uh, be able to add to that superhero utility belt. So really excited about that. And also for me, in having conversations with my guests, one of the big things revolving around our body fat that isn't talked about because we generally relate it to food. When we're talking about body fat and weight and weight loss, the conversation is usually revolving around food, but it's really missing the mark because something that drives our nutrition and our our desire to eat is heavily influenced by things like stress and also by our sleep quality. All right, one of the first things that happens when we're sleep deprived is an increase in cortisol, right? This kind of glorified stress hormone that's not bad, but when it's in the wrong amounts and produced at the wrong time, it can be problematic for us for sure because cortisol, this kind of stress response, can literally break down your valuable muscle tissue, it's a process called gluconeogenesis, and turn it into fuel, right? And so having that increase in glucose in your body is going to incite the role of insulin to do its job and potentially having the stress response of a blood sugar spike, we're eventually going to have that flip on its head. We can even go hypoglycemic and that's going to drive us to want to eat more. That's a long story of how sleep deprivation can influence our appetite. A direct way is through uh, Stanford researchers have found that a short sleep debt, just one night of interrupted sleep, a short sleep debt can dramatically suppress your body's production of leptin, which is really noted as our body's major satiety hormone. All right, so we're directly going to want to eat more food And also the choices of food the researchers have found are going to be lower quality when we're sleep deprived. All right. So we want to make sure that we're taking all of this into account and putting some love and attention into getting the best sleep that we can, because it's really a big driver of all this other stuff that we're talking about in relationship to nutrition. All right. So with that said, obviously the the lifestyle practices are huge here for helping to uh, improve our sleep quality, not just the quantity, but the quality of the sleep that we are getting. So we definitely have that. We've done masterclass episodes talking about improving our sleep quality, all right? And we'll put a couple. I'll put two of my favorites for you in the show notes. But for a lot of us, we're looking for that extra edge. Like what's going to give us that extra 5%? 
when we're doing different things right, or maybe we just we're, we're in a tight spot. Maybe we're stressed. Maybe we are, you know, just it's been a lot during the day. What can we do to just give us that little bit of an edge when it comes to our sleep? So I like to look towards earth-grown nutrition. I like to look towards foods that help, but there are some wonderful herbs and supplements and things of that nature that can be super helpful. And the journal Pharmacology, Biochemistry, and Behavior published some research finding that the medicinal mushroom reishi was found to, number one, improve sleep latency. So this means you fall asleep faster. They also found that uh, the test subjects who were utilizing reishi tended to sleep longer and they had more efficient sleep cycles. So they spent more time in the deepest, most anabolic stage of sleep, i.e. non-REM sleep, right? So this is really that delta wave sleep where you're producing more human growth hormone, which helps with fat loss. And they also spent more time in REM sleep as well, rapid eye movement sleep. This is where a lot of uh, reparative processes are taking place and even something called memory processing where even what you're learning right now really gets solidified and stored in your short-term memory. So all of this is important. These benefits come from Rishi, which has been used for centuries. We've got centuries of documented use. But today, our new science and testing methods are able to see, wow, this really does correlate to improved sleep. All right, not only that, and that's the thing that you'll find with things that are, are natural and that have all these benefits, these storied benefits, it's not just good for one thing. It's not just good for your sleep. Rishi has also been found to have an incredible influence on the health of your immune system. So Rishi is in a category of compounds known as immunomodulators, all right, immunomodulators. So most drugs and even a lot of supplements push our immune system in one direction, right? It'll spike your immune system or they'll suppress your immune system, right? There are drugs that suppress your immune system like chemotherapy. These immunomodulators like reishi and these other medicinal mushrooms have an intelligence that work with your body and your immune cells to lift your immune system up if you're in need of that or to bring it down if it's hyperactive or we see with situations like autoimmune conditions, for example. What else do you know that has that kind of power? Well, we're talking about food and nutrition, even some of the good stuff. To be immunomodulators, it's truly, truly remarkable and just speaks a huge testament to medicinal mushrooms like reishi. For me, I use the reishi from Four Sigmatic because it's dual extracted, right? This means they're using two extraction methods, alcohol extract and a hot water extract to actually get all of these compounds. We've talked about many different things that it's influencing. So the immune system stuff might not be the same as what's influencing sleep, all right? You get all of those benefits when it's dual extracted. And they make it super easy because it's in these simple little uh, packets that you can travel with. And this is what I do. I've got my 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 book bag, my Dora the Explorer backpack. All right, backpack. For, did you know Dora the Explorer live action movie's coming? I don't know if you're ready for this. All right. Boots, uh, Diego, the whole gang's coming. All right. And I think they've got a really interesting spin on it. Shout out to people who watch Door of the Explorer or you had kids who watch it. All right. Shout out to that. I've got my backpack and in it is my favorite medicinal mushrooms from Four Sigmatic. All right. So definitely check out their Rishi. I have it. It's like my favorite nightcap, you know, my nighttime wind down. And it's, a pro it's part of my routine. Right. So maybe 30 minutes before bed, have a cup of Rishi, chill, read a little book, maybe have a little conversation. You know, talk to my talk to my boo thing, talk to my wife, and just relax. And it's a great way to unwind and go into that process of getting good sleep. All right, so definitely check it out. It's foursigmatic.com forward slash model. 
and you get 15% off everything they carry. All right, that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model, and you get 15% off. All right, so definitely pop over there and check them out. And on that note, let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled, Sean Stevenson is the best by Liz Hartfield. Sean Stevenson is one of the most encouraging people on the planet. He has motivated me more than anyone else to not accept failure and to value health and longevity. I love his platform so much and binge listen to his podcast. They're so good. Wish I could give more than five stars. Keep going. Oh my goodness. So, so incredible. Thank you so much, Liz. I appreciate you so much. And thank you for leaving that review over on Apple Podcasts. And listen, if you've yet to leave a review, you can pause this, leave a review for the show. And I'd appreciate that so very much. And seriously speaking, these truly do mean the world to me to hear these uh, these stories and, and these shares. And it just really warms my heart. And I appreciate that so much. It just drives me to keep going and into giving more. So thank you so very much. And uh, on that note, let's go ahead and get to our special guest and our topic of the day. Our guest today is Dr. Sylvia Terra, and she holds a PhD in biochemistry from the University of California at San Diego and an MBA from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. She was a consultant with McKinsey and Company and has worked at the world's largest biotechnology companies. So she knows her stuff and she's been in a lot of different fields. And she lives here in California and she's made the drive up from Orange County to come and hang out with me here in LA. And I'd like to welcome to the Model Health Show, Dr. Sylvia Tara. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. Great to be here. It's great to have you here. Thanks, thanks for making the trip up. Yeah, thanks. It's my pleasure, my pleasure. Okay. Your book just knocked my socks off, which I've been telling you, and I've been telling everybody about it. It's like an absolute masterclass on fat. And this whole, <laughs> like literally the title is Secret Life of Fat. That's right. And first, before anything, I would love if you could just share what got you interested in the subject matter because your story just like really resonated as well. Yeah, no, no problem. And uh, yeah, so I actually have a very hard time managing my own fat and I gain weight very, very easily. And uh, I would go on diets and I would lose some weight, you know, gain it back and watch everyone else around me on the similar diet lose a lot more fat than I would. And I saw this happen so many times, I got really tired of it. And I thought, what is it about me that's different? Why do I have more of a problem than other people do? And so uh, I read some of these books and they just didn't add up for me. And I'm a biochemist by training. And I thought, well, if anyone can understand fat, I can. I have the background to understand fat. So I went on a five-year endeavor to understand everything I could learn about fat. I think I pulled out about a thousand research articles on fat. I talked to around 50 scientists around the world about their research on fat and what they were finding out. And what I was finding out was so interesting, right? So novel. I thought, you know, someone should write a book about this. <laughs> and so that's what that book is, A Secret Life of Fat, Everything I Learned About Fat. I love it. It's like <laughs> someone should write a book. Oh, it's me. Me. <laughs> yes, it'll be me. I love it. Well, it, one of the early things in the book that was just super fascinating and uh, something I've, I literally I think about from time to time that yeah. fat has actually kind of gone in and out of popularity, fat in and of itself in our culture. That's like right. there was a time when... 
it was like popular. People oh, yeah. were like looking for ways to get some fat on them. Let's talk a little bit about the history of fat. Isn't that outrageous? Who would have ever thought people were trying to be fat? And yeah. yet that's exactly what happened. So yeah, there was a time after the Civil War where, you know, America was in an adverse time. There was a lot of poverty. Um, people didn't have food. And in that time, that's when having fat was a fashion statement. It was a sign of wealth. And people were actually patting themselves to look heavier. Celebrities were, were celebrated for their heft. And uh, it was it was fascinating. And there was a fat men's club. I found that really interesting. You had to be fat enough to join. It was a, a very prestigious club starting in Connecticut, and you had to have enough weight to join. Mm. And uh, as the economy got better, people started doing better, and they started eating more, and they started getting heavy. And that's when a lot of uh, politicians started warning about fat. Religious leaders started warning about fat. It became a, a big fear. So when a few rich people could be fat, and, and only them, it was okay. But when everyone started getting fatter, then it was seen as a bad thing. And uh, an industry spawned from that time because people now had this, this fear about fat. It was written about in a negative way. They heard it from their leaders that it's not good to be fat. And they started getting worried. And a lot of shysters, kind of entrepreneurs, huckster types came out of the woodwork trying to sell all these gadgets to lose fat. There was a soap that was supposed to melt the fat under your skin, fat off soap. They sold rubber suits, right, to melt off your fat. You would wear these rubber suits and sweat and, you know, you'd lose weight. And uh, people ate parasites, right, uh, <laughs> parasitic tablets to get rid of, you know, to, um, to have tapeworms that could siphon off the fat. And then once they lost the weight, they would take some poison pills and get rid of the tapeworm. And they did outrageous things, poisons, dinitrophenyl to get rid of their fat. Which that's explosive stuff. Oh right? yes, in explosives. And apparently it raises your metabolism. And even as, as recently as five years ago, I think there was a death from dinitrophenyl, people taking it to lose fat. And so the business got out of control and, uh, you know, eventually led to multi-billion dollar corporations that help us try to lose our fat. But it's an echo chamber of fat is bad, fat is bad, and makes people kind of neurotic. And I don't know that anyone ever thinks about, well, how much fat is really okay to have? And, you know, and can you be fat and fit at the same time? But right. we live in an echo chamber and I think fat gets a very bad rap. Um, but it has changed throughout the years and who knows, maybe at some point fat will be loved once again. Oh, yes. Thank <laughs> you for that. And like just the concept of like consuming this explosive explosive uh, ingredient. It's, it just reminds me of a cartoon of like Bugs Bunny level consciousness yes, of like, I'm going right. to swallow this stick of dynamite. Yeah. Wow. But the crazy thing is, as you were saying this, and I didn't relate it when I was reading the book, I was just kind of fascinated with the times. The same stuff is going on. Oh, it's yes. just different versions, yes. right? Instead of the, the, the rubber suit, now we got these different, we got the body wrap, right? Just wrap yourself up and you'll lose all this fat. It makes no it it just it's just not real, you know. And instead of swallowing this thing now, you got your skinny tea yeah. or whatever the case is, which just makes you, you know, uh, you know, gas and blast your way to to slimmer waist. But we're looking for these solutions because yeah. fat is really seen as an enemy. And in your book, you really highlight how our relationship to fat is skewed, and there's so much to know and to relate to. And I think it'll help us better heal and to manage our relationship. And so I want to talk about that. Let's talk about first, just biochemically speaking, like what the heck is fat? <laughs> And what is, what is it kind of responsible for, just like the basic? Yeah. So it turns out fat is actually an organ. I think most people think of fat as a tissue, and in small bits, it's a tissue. So it's like your skin. If you just take a piece of skin, it's a piece of tissue. But your skin in its entirety functions like an organ, and fat is the same way. So fat in its entirety in your body actually uh, it produces hormones that your body depends on. And one of those very important hormones is called leptin. Leptin has a function all over your body. It's correlated 
related to brain size, right? So people who are anorexic, um, their brains actually start shrinking because they don't have enough fat, they don't have enough leptin to maintain brain mass. Their bones become more porous. Our bones are dependent on leptin. Our reproductive system is dependent on leptin. So there are people in the world who have um, deficient fat, meaning their fat's not functioning well. They have uh, plenty of fat, but they're missing some genes in their fat, and their fat is not producing leptin. And those people can't reproduce. They don't have, the women don't have regular periods. You know, the men don't even mature into fully grown men because leptin has a strong role in maturity and reproduction. So our bodies depend on fat for leptin. And uh, so when we lose fat, uh, we lose leptin. And once that happens, our bodies really react to that and it increases our appetite. Our appetites go through the roof. And you might notice if you even lose five pounds, 10 pounds, you get really hungry. And it's our, our brains responding to, I'm not sensing leptin. Uh, anywhere. And it wants you to eat more and it wants it to bring it back. So fat has enormous functions in our body. It's not just a reserve of calories, although that is one of its roles. It actually functions in so many other ways. Mm. And that was the the first time that leptin was discovered. And I love the story that you shared because as it was getting towards the end, I was like, is this leptin? Is it leptin she's talking about? <laughs> right. And and it was uh, in relationship, they were utilizing these, are they called OBE? Mice? Oh, OB and DB mice, yes. Yeah, so That's OB right. and DB. Yeah. And I think it was like OB, OB, yes. and then you shortened it. And because we were trying to find out like what it, and this is in humans as well now, we know that some folks literally they have the mutation where they cannot control their hunger. That's right. And we look at people and just point the finger and just say, you know, you're just, you're, you don't have discipline. And sometimes it actually, if they're not producing leptin, you are ravenously hungry. Yes. And... The discovery of leptin is, and what we talk about, and even I've talked about many times, is in relationship to a, being a society hormone. But thank you for sharing that because it also is involved in your bones. Yes. It's involved in your reproductive system. Yeah. And people that have this mutation or even these these mice, smaller brain size that's right. is one of those things. So that's why just one of the reasons fat's so important is fat can talk, right? It can talk, right? It talks to your brain. And uh, it's good you brought that up because there's a direct link to your hypothalamus. It talks to your hypothalamus and it says, okay, we're good here. We have nutrition. We have enough fat. All's good. And so when you start to lose fat or you have defective fat, like the the, the character I talked about in the book, the patient I talked about in the book, um, if you're not getting that signal to your brain, you get ravenously hungry. Mm. And Layla was the patient I talked about um, where she had defective fat. Her fat wasn't producing leptin. So her brain was never getting a signal that she was satiated. And uh, she actually, yeah, poor little girl, right? She she was going through the trash looking for food because her parents were trying to restrict it. And she would break into a locked freezer, break into cupboards, go through trash. She she could not stop eating. She was eating eating frozen raw fish. Yes. Like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. (laughs) That's right. It's not even what you eat. It doesn't even have to taste good. They just need to keep on eating. Um, Once they figured out, this was the discovery of leptin, right? Once they figured out that uh, she was leptin deficient, she had a, a gene mutation, they could inject leptin into her and she stopped eating yeah. it was that magical that quick and uh, she was now a normal a normal and young also lady change in behavior yes it brought forth a maturity yes as well of the brain that's right wow leptin is super important yeah and your fat is super important because that's where leptin is coming from yeah so I think you know the secret life of fat it helps you respect your fat your fat has a role like I said, it's not just calorie reserve. It actually has a very important role in your body. And so when we try to lose it, your body fights back. It wants to keep it on. It doesn't want you to lose it. And so you have to really understand your fat to control your fat. Mm, Otherwise, yeah. you won't understand the changes you're, you're facing in behavior, your hunger. You know, it feels like why your body's wanting this back. 
And I think what the book helped me do was um, I didn't become so much of a yo-yo dieter anymore. I've been able to keep it off because I understand, you know, why I'm having this feeling, why I have this urge to eat more. And uh, it led to a number of different strategies as far as behavioral strategy, just, just seeing it through to the end. I think I got very determined once I finally figured out what fat was doing to me. Yes, <laughs> and we'll talk about some of the, like, what do we do right. here in a minute? But I want to really, I want to go back a little bit and talk about the basic, like, and this is some, you know, similar to what I was taught in a university setting about the role of fat. But I love how you talk about it in the terms of currency. Um, and this is something I would relate to other things as well when I talk yeah. about things like insulin, things like that. But I love how, you know, looking at we've got glucose, yeah. glycogen, and fat. So can you talk about that relationship as sure. far as thinking about it in terms of currency? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's different ways your body gets energy when it needs it. I mean, one is when you eat right away, you get some glucose in your blood. Um, that's cash, right? It's it's quick. It's in your blood. You can use it very, very quickly. Um, after that, it gets stored um, into glycogen. That's another storage. And it can also get stored into fat. Now, glycogen is in your muscle cells. It's in your liver. It's like a checking account, right? right? So it's not right there, right? It's not right. It's not cash in your pocket, but you can easily write a check, right? And you, you can give it out. So your body has a little bit of work to get it out of the cell and it produces glucose. Now fat is like a certificate of deposit, right? So fat is when you've, all the glucose is now going to get converted into a fat molecule and stored away for later use. And that fat is harder to get to. That source of energy is harder to get to. It's like, it's not always there right away when you need it. Your body will go for glucose first. It'll go for glycogen also. And then if you really need it, it's going to go for your fat. And so when we try to lose that fat, you can imagine it's hard because your, your body is first using the glucose and glycogen and only when it really needs it is it going to get into that fat and help you lose it. Mm, I love that so much. The body is so sophisticated to have those currency systems, yeah. you know, and so it's just logical as well, having that cash on hand to do, you know, instant processes. But when there's too much on hand, we don't want to just walk around with this, you know, stacks of cash. Right. We're not the Migos for people out there who know, you know, some of these... Uh, entertainers that just carry this insane amount of money around. But for a lot of us, we're going to store it as safekeeping and use it yes. as needed. And then we've got fat, which is harder to get to. Like your body's going to use the glucose, glycogen, yeah. and then like go through that effort to get there. And so we want to, first of all, you know, one of the basic thing is like, let's not get into a place where we're like storing too much right. in these certificates of deposit. Uh, but we'll get to that in a moment. And so in thinking about this differently and how we're, you know, consuming food and storing energy and then using energy later, but it's it's just a really interesting mosaic of the, the body's capacity. So Yeah, and it's it's also really good that we're storing fat because if you have too much glucose hanging around or too much glycogen or, or too many lipids hanging around and they have no place to go, they start to store in places they shouldn't be, right. right? Like your heart, like your liver, like other places. And so actually the fact that our body is putting these away and storing them, sequestering them into our fat is very healthy for us. Right. In fact, there are some people who don't store fat very well and these extra nutrients float around quite a bit. And I wrote about one patient named Christina Vina who had this problem. She couldn't she couldn't properly make fat. And uh, she, her liver was about, you know, multiple times the size it should have been because things were getting stored into her liver because she couldn't store it into her fat. And so our fat's really important. Be thankful you have it. And even when you're getting fatter, be thankful you are because if you weren't, it'd be floating around in your heart and your liver and your blood and other places where it shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. the body's so amazing. Yeah. And with that, in bringing up the liver, um, there was a time when experts, physicians, researchers thought that the liver was like the primary 
if not the the place making fat. Yeah. And since then, obviously, new data and thoughts have evolved to know that fat can actually make itself. It can. I think still there's a lot made by the liver, and some of the fat in your diet is deposited right into your fat cells. And yes, so the third the third element is that. So we're learning about fat. And, uh, you know, really the obesity epidemic in a way helps because more NIH money went into fat research and understanding what to do with it. And so I think, you know, the more it's a health problem, the more research goes into it. And uh, it's becoming very interesting on how we, uh, what we're learning about fat, what it really is and how to manage it. And I think most interestingly is that everyone's fat is not the same, right? Mm -hmm. People have different metabolic profiles, different genetic profiles. um, And you have to really understand your fat Right, my fat is not the same as yours. Mine is, you know, I have a very stubborn form of fat that it takes a lot to get it off. But gender will make a difference as well. The bacterial distribution we have in our gut will make a difference as well as viruses. So, important thing is to understand your fat and your body and how you best can manage your weight. Mm. So this brings me to understand there's different types of fat yeah. even in our bodies. That's right. So we've got uh, subcutaneous yeah. and also visceral. Yeah. Fat. Can you talk about those a little bit? Yeah, so those are two types of fat. There's also brown fat that we'll yes. talk about later. Yes. But the, the subcutaneous fat is that fat right under your skin. So like in your arms, in your legs, you know, that's under your skin fat stored stored underneath. There's also visceral fat, which is that fat that can be stored under your stomach wall, right? So two types of stomach fat. One type of stomach fat is that under the skin, subcutaneous stomach fat. And then there's visceral fat, and some people get this underneath the stomach wall. Now, visceral fat um, can be very unhealthy because it gets close to your pancreas. It can cause inflammation. And so that's the kind of fat you definitely want to lose. People can be fat but fit if they mostly have subcutaneous fat. Once it starts sitting in your gut, that's when it's correlated with diabetes. um, It's correlated with heart disease. And I do talk about cancer. That's right. And I do talk about sumo wrestlers in the book also because they're a fascinating case of fat but fit. So uh, sumo wrestlers exercise for six to eight hours a day. They're actually very, very fit. And believe it or not, they don't have visceral fat. All that fat you see on a sumo wrestler is right under the skin. It's subcutaneous. Um, And interestingly, when they get off the sumo regime, when they retire, they get metabolically unhealthy very quickly. Although throughout their sumo career, they were healthy. They didn't have metabolic disease. And it turns out that exercise is associated with a hormone called adiponectin that actually controls how much visceral fat you get versus subcutaneous fat. And because they exercise so much, sumo wrestlers, they have high levels of adiponectin and they don't have visceral fat. And so that's how you can be, you know, if, if it's always best not to have too much fat. But if you are going to have, you know, extra fat, better to store it in your subcutaneous area rather than the visceral area. Awesome. So, so insightful. And so you mentioned, so we got the visceral fat. And the first time I heard about visceral fat was... It was called omentum fat, which yeah. is, I think it might be Greek, meaning something like fatty apron or something yes. like that. And now just understanding, so we've got that, but now we know about brown fat, yeah. right? Brown adipose tissue or bat, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and bat is, uh, it's actually good fat to have. So bat actually has a dual role. It does store some energy, but it's also responsible for producing heat. Right, so most of our white fat, and there's two types of white fat, that's visceral fat and subcutaneous fat that we talked about, but then there's brown fat that exists around your clavicle, around your back and your heart, and it actually burns energy. 
So instead of just storing energy, it's burning energy to produce heat. And there are some interesting experiments now to look at injecting brown fat into white fat to help people lose weight because it's actually burning off energy. Um, and there's ways to get brown fat. And um, one way is to swim in cold water. And interestingly, when I, I wrote this book and did this research, I, you know, I told my husband about it and he started swimming in our <laughs> nearby pool, a freezing cold pool every morning. And he's already a skinny guy, but he got almost emaciated just because I think he was burning so much calories from the swim. And I think he was increasing his brown fat and he ended up eating like just tons of calories uh, while this was going on. So uh, it's good fat to have and there are ways of getting more of it. Yeah. And love that example yeah. of like, he's eating, he's eating a lot. Yeah. You hear stories of people like Michael Phelps, yes. right? Who's eating like 12,000 calories a day. It's because, and, and, and he's, if you just compare the movements that he's doing to somebody who's not in a pool, yeah. he's not burning that much. It's because the pool itself is adding that X factor. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the cryotherapy and the cold thermogenesis and all that stuff. And we'll put a, a link in the show notes for everybody. I did a masterclass on this a while back. But another way we talked about before the show potentially is helping to support your body's production of melatonin, yeah. which has been found. This was in a journal, Obesity Reviews that melatonin, first of all, there's 400 times more melatonin in your gut than in your pineal hmm, gland, which is what I was taught this in school. Mm -hmm. It's in your pineal gland, and it's story, it's not. But they found that melatonin increases the production and uh, mo mobility of this brown fat, which is really cool. Yeah. And the reason it's brown is that it has so much more mitochondria. It's like super dense yes. in this energy power plant in our cells. Right. It's nuts. But you talk about beige fat yeah. as well. Yeah. So please talk about that because I've, it's the first time I've seen it in a yeah, book. Yeah, that's a newly discovered type of fat. And that's fat that's capable of turning brown. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. So it's it's hanging around. And you know our body often has these kind of sleeper cells, like stem cells that are waiting to see what the needs are at the moment. Yeah. And they're capable of turning into things as you need to. And beige fat um, can turn brown. And one of the triggers that makes them turn brown is actually exercise, right? Um, they have a, a, a protein called arisen in them. And when we exercise, um, they can turn into brown fat. And so it's being researched now. It's pretty new. But, um, you know, just know if you, you can increase your levels of brown fat by exposure to cold, right, by cold swims and by exercising as well. So exercise, you know, I, I write about it and I think it's a good it's a good tool. So most of weight management is about what you eat, but there is a part that where exercise can be very, very helpful um, just to make sure not to trigger a, a huge hunger reflex, right, <laughs> which we'll get into, yeah. And that, I think that comes with stressful exercise, you know, just like chronically stressful. Exercise in of itself, is, is it is a hormetic stressor. Yeah. But when it just becomes chronic, like you're trying to out-exercise your other issues. Right. And then we miss out on these benefits because, you know, we're just we become so like sympathetic, yeah. dominant. So totally nuts. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about, and this was just so beautiful that, you, again, like, this is stuff that's like out there, but to put it in this book all together in one place is yeah. so refreshing and so good. And how fat literally holds us together. It holds our cells together. Oh, yeah. yeah. So please talk about that. Yeah, I mean, fat, we always think about fat as just, you know, the fat in our thighs or butt or stomach, but it's actually integrated throughout your whole body, right? So every cell has a, a uh, membrane, and in the membrane, it's made of fat, and that's what holds your cells together. Um, our nerves have fat around them, myelin. Um, you know, it's mostly fat, and that's what helps our nerves conduct. 
Um, fats used as a messenger. There's icosanoids or fat molecules that are used for short-term messaging within our body. So there's so many different types of fat in your body, um, and we get fixated on the white fat that we, makes us look not good. And again, a lot of that is because of the dieting industry we live around, right? Putting such a laser focus on our fat and why we should be worried and why we shouldn't have it and why we need to buy 10 different products to get rid of it or, you know, different books or programs. And uh, it makes us fixate on one type of fat only. But it's critical, as we talked about earlier. Um, it produces hormones, leptin. It produces estrogen as well, mm, fat. I was just going to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, and as women get older and their ovaries stop producing estrogen, they actually depend on their fat for estrogen. Um, you know, it's a messenger. It holds our cells together and helps our brain conduct signals. So love your fats. That's one of the lessons of yes. <laughs> this research is and love that, your I'm fat. I'm sure that was just a huge revelation for you. It was, You know, yeah. going through the process. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I want to talk about... You know, you got these really cool sections and how it's like good girl gone bad was like good fat goes bad. Yeah. And this is something that we can start to pay attention to and to influence because we're hearing all of these benefits and great things about fat, but yeah. there is this dark side. So we're going to get into that right after this quick break. So sit tight. We'll be right back. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I was obsessed with juice. All right, I'm talking about the juice boxes. Capri Suns? You remember when Capri Suns came out? The complication of getting that straw into that little plastic bag and shooting it all over your oneself as a child? Everybody had to experience it, but the Capri Sun was delicious. All right, it went from there to, you know, getting a little bit more fancy and having, quote, tropical punch. Became a big fan of like Hawaiian punch, and that was my thing. I wasn't a big fan of sodas. I was getting the juice, but here's the thing. It wasn't really juice, all right? If you would read the package, it would literally say 0% juice in the juice. It was trickery, trickery. And here's the thing, how can they create these flavors? Uh, there's this incredible technology. We have a gas chromatograph that you can synthesize and, and extract and find those flavors and create them artificially. So what's the point in going and getting a real strawberry if you can create that flavor and that smell? And so we really kind of found ourselves in a nutrition black hole because of that and providing these things to our, our kids and our society as if everything is normal, but it's not normal. We know now that those fake juices were hurting us, hurting our metabolism, uh, introducing a tremendous amount of sugar, very uh, processed sugar that can really cause massive issues, whether it's with our, our brain health, whether it's with our metabolism and our ability to burn fat. Matter of fact, the name Tropical Punch, where does it even come from? It's really like a punch to your pancreas, all right? It's a nice uppercut. And so today though, the game has changed, all right? Now we have this updated knowledge and we have the ability to create a juice that's really special and something that's available no matter where you go because it's been low temperature processed to retain all of these vital nutrients and these wonderful, many of them red superfoods and delivering not just a similar flavor sensation, you know, back in the day we had crystal light. Don't forget about crystal light. But this is something that's actually going to add to your health and not take away. All right, my kids are also huge fans of the red juice formula as well. And this is why. One of the hallmark ingredients here in the red juice formula is acai. You've heard of acai. It's hot. It's hot right now. 10 times more antioxidants than just about any fruit that you can name. It's an antioxidant powerhouse that also assists your body in producing its own endogenous 
antioxidants, which are really the most powerful forms of these things. They really help to keep us younger, longer. All right, we've got some cranberries in there. All right, cranberries are great for your digestion and for your bladder. Pomegranate, again, super hot right now. Pomegranate is full of uh, antioxidants as well and found to be beneficial in study after study for your cardiovascular health, as well as strawberry. We've got some blueberry in there too. Raspberry, great source of vitamin C. Vitamin C is great for your immune system for generating, creating new tissues. Vitamin C is great for your skin. And the list goes on and on because we've also got some other super herbs in this formula too. Cordyceps, rhodiola, ginseng. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about red juice from Organifi, all right? You need to get your hands on this red juice. It is amazing. It tastes good and also it is incredible for you. This is kicking the whole concept of these barrel juices and juice boxes that I used to get messed up on when I was a kid right down the stairs, all right? This is the real deal, all right? Again, low temperature process to actually retain the nutrients so you're actually getting what is promoted to be in the red juice itself. So pop over, check them out. It's Organifi.com forward slash model. You get 20% off of the red juice right now. All right, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model for 20% off the red juice formula, the green juice, the gold, everything that they carry. All right, but I highly, highly recommend getting your hands on the red juice. I like to have it in the afternoon, a little pick me up to give a little bit of a jolt and supporting your energy, but coming from earth-grown nutrients, real food, all right? So again, pop over, check them out, Organifi.com forward slash model for 20% off. And now back to the show. All right, we're back and we're talking with Dr. Sylvia Tara, and she's just blowing my mind left and right. And I love her new book. Uh, it's been out for a little bit, but it is like super taken off right now. You need to get yourself a copy. It's The Secret Life of Fat. And we're really just understanding how valuable and important fat is. And we just tend to have this very black and white opinion of it. And for the most part, it's, it's bad. And we have this battle with fat and really understanding that having too little fat is absolutely dangerous. This affects the size of our brains. This affects our ability to have good sleep. It affects our hormones and our ability to even have kind of regulation over our emotions. It's so much that fat is involved in. And we're just talking about a little bit of it today, but again, it's a masterclass in the book, The Secret Life of Fat. But before the break, I asked you about, I want to talk about when good fat goes bad, yeah. because there is this other side and it's justified. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, fat in excess, you know, massive amounts of excess is not good. So fat that turns into visceral fat that starts to deposit in your visceral area, that is not good. That is the fat that uh, causes inflammation signals uh, mm -hmm. to be emitted. It's the fat that is correlated with diabetes type 2. And it is also the fat that's correlated with heart disease. So this, a normal amount of fat is good. Um, you know, fat subcutaneous, if it's if it's stored in your arms and legs and under your skin, uh, can be quite healthy. And we need our fat to, for all the reasons you just mentioned: the brain size, you know, um, our immune systems rely on fat, our reproductive systems yeah. do, our happiness, and our emotional state relies on fat as well. Um, but then when you get too much, it starts to deposit in places where it shouldn't, then that becomes a problem. And that is good fat gone bad. Mm. So we want the good level. We don't want it being excessive, and we don't want it underneath our stomach wall. Um, we want to keep it at a healthy amount. Yes. And another thing that you talk about and just kind of introduce the subject matter, which is something that we're probably going to hear more about is aromatization, which is basically when we have, uh, you know, higher levels of blood sugar 
and even higher levels of fat, your body can potentially do this kind of um, uh, a steal. And it can take some DHEA, which can get converted. It can take these two different pathways, go to testosterone, which everybody needs some testosterone, yes. or get converted to estrogen. And being imbalanced in our body fat and also blood sugar can cause this aromatization where more of it's getting shuttled over and becoming estrogen. And we get to the state where we're estrogen dominant. And it's just another place that this can be dangerous. But I want to talk to you a little bit about, because fat can be, because we've deemed it being so bad, it becomes a battle for mm -hmm. some of us. And so we're fighting fat, but fat fights back. Yeah, so right. let's talk a little bit about how, how fat can fight to stay on you. Yeah, no, and that's an excellent point. And uh, that was one of my biggest learnings is that my fat's actually trying to come back as, I, as I'm dieting. So when we lose some fat, we lose leptin because remember, fat produces leptin. Leptin is a hormone that binds with our brain and tells us we're full, we're satiated, all is good in the world. And so when we lose some fat, we lose an amount of leptin and our brains overreact to that and it makes us more hungry. Um, and so uh, we get more obsessive about food. In fact, MRI images of people who've lost some weight, um, they, they show when they're shown pictures of food, their brains light up by far more than mm -hmm. people who haven't lost any weight, yeah. right? So we react a lot to food. And there's a caloric penalty as well. Our bodies start to change. They start to get very good at making more fat. So our, meta our metabolism actually changes once we lose some fat, say 10% of our, our, our weight or so, um, to where we get very efficient at storing fat. And again, it's because metabol our leptin has dropped and our bodies are now changing. So somebody who's lost, you know, say 10, 20% of, of their body weight will have to eat 22% fewer calories compared to someone who's never had to lose weight to be at their weight. So say someone who was 150 pounds, gained uh, 25 pounds to be 175, they lose that 25, get back to 150 pounds. They're now having to eat 22% fewer calories than someone who was at 150 pounds naturally to begin with and never gained the weight and came back, right? So there's a caloric penalty to getting heavier and losing it, and it lasts a long time. Yeah. Our muscles become more efficient during that time. They burn less calories. Um, so even at rest, we burn about 15% fewer calories once we've had that change in leptin. Um, during exercise, it's around 25% less calories that we burn after we've yo-yo dieted like yeah. this. And the effect can last, it's been studied for up to six years and it might last longer. So it's, yeah. it's an effect that might happen for a long time. So I think dieters just have to be aware, you probably won't be able to go back and eat the way you did before. Um, once you've yo-yo dieted, you've gained weight and lost it, you'll be at this caloric penalty for years. Um, and this is what happens when people regain weight, right? They think that they can go back and eat. And you really, for, for years at least afterward, you have to maintain that lower calorie diet. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And this is why we need to really strive to have a kind of a multi-pronged approach yeah. to losing fat and right. mi being mindful of our sleep quality and you know stress and things like that. Because you talk about in the book, there's food is the only thing that causes this issue with fat really fighting to stay on you. So let's talk about some of the other stuff yeah. that can cause body fat to just like be so so difficult to 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 relate with. Yeah, so the other ways we get fat, is that what you what you mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah oh boy, there's a bunch of ways. So food is one. <laughs> Certainly if we overeat, we get fat. Um, our bacterial distribution can affect um, our fats and how much we have. So there's certain types of bacteria that are very good at extracting calories out of food and putting it into our fat. 
Um, and interestingly, what we eat can tilt our microbiome in our gut. So if we have a lot of starchy, um, high-calorie, fatty foods, we get a certain distribution that's very good at, at extracting out those calories. When we eat more fibrous foods, we actually tilt our microbiome to that type that actually lets a lot more pass. So we, we get more fiber, which helps more, more of our calories pass, but those bacteria that, that accumulate around eating more fibrous foods also don't try to extract as much calories out of the food. So in a way, fat loss begets fat loss. If you eat healthy, you eat fibrous foods, a lot of lettuce and, and cabbage and things like that, naturally it's less calories, you're getting more waste. But then again, the bacteria you're fostering in your gut is that type of bacteria that does not extract as many calories out of the food. And so that's very interesting. So our, our, back, our uh, microbiome is one way that, you know, we gain other fat. Gender is another. And I had to read about this because, um, you know, I write about this in the book. I have a very skinny husband who eats everything he wants. And I think he still fits into his college genes and uh, very frustrating for me. And women's bodies are very different is what I learned. Um, women partition more nutrients into fat than men. And this happens um, at the time they're born, probably even before they're born girl babies, girl infants are fatter than boy babies. Mm. And it's, you know, the way the way that we're designed. And nature likes to keep fat on women as well. Um, when we exercise, we tend to get hungrier than men do. After exercise, we have more ghrelin, which is a hung, hunger-producing hormone. Um, women produce more of it after mm. a good bout of exercise than men. So That's it's almost like, like their the bodies counter, are designed. The counter of leptin. That's right. So ghrelin is a hormone produced by our stomach. Yeah. And it produces a sensation of hunger. And after we have a good bout of exercise, say we burn off 400, 600 calories or so, we produce more ghrelin, right? And ghrelin makes us hungry. And interestingly enough, women produce about 33% more ghrelin than men after exercise. Wow. And when they do experiments and they let them go and eat off a buffet after they exercise, women will eat more. And so women are driven to have more fat. And when they start to lose fat or utilize their fat um, for energy, their bodies are driven to put it back on. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, for women, it's a, it's a unique issue. Um, you know, one good thing is that women tend to have more subcutaneous fat, less visceral fat. Mm -hmm. So although they they're tend to be fatter, they tend to have healthier fat than men. So it's a very different fat profile for women. And there's good reason for this that you highlight yeah. as well, for yeah. women to have this drive to maintain more body fat is literally is for life. Yes. It's literally for life itself. Yes, that's right. For reproduction, right? Yeah, Their fat exactly. is associated with, with estrogen, with leptin levels, and leptin's critical for your reproductive system. Yeah. And so uh, nature pretty much knows what it's doing. <laughs> yeah. What I've learned from all of this, and of course our fat, good fat can go bad, and you have to be careful there, but um, our fat has a really critical role. And I think we're only starting to understand all the roles that fat has in our body. This is just the beginning of, of the research awakening, and uh, looking forward to what comes out in the next 10 years about oh, fat. Oh, for sure. And you yeah. are super at the forefront of this right. and putting this out for everybody. And you even shared uh, a couple studies in the book in regards to, and I know some women listening have experienced this where, you know, they're really heavy into their particular exercise and they're working, they're getting their body fat down and they start to have uh, irreg irregularities with their cycle. Yes, that's right. Or, you know, you sh this one study you talked about was had young girls not even beginning their cycle until a year plus later than their peers yeah. because of being involved in things like ballet and other yeah. athletics that are really strenu strenuous. Yeah, if you have a low fat level and you're energy deficient, um, once your leptin level gets low, you, you don't develop, right? So what, what it does typically is it offsets development by a couple of years for those women. And, uh, you know, people who aren't menstruating yet, the young girls who aren't menstruating yet, they, they start later. It won't start till years later. If they are menstruating when they're doing ballet or when they go into running, 
their periods will become intermittent or they'll just stop. And interestingly, if they have an injury and they're on the, on the bench for a while and they start eating and gaining some fat, it comes right back. Mm. Their periods come back. And uh, some athletes, um, you know, when they're trying to, to reproduce or, you know, trying to, to conceive at that point, their doctors will tell them to, to sit it out for a while and just get a little bit more normal with fat level and the amount of food that they're eating. So, uh, and that's how that, that research, uh, some of the leptin research came to be. So um, right. someone noticed in Pakistan, um, they were doing a, a, a study about world populations. This was Rose Frisch back in, uh, at Harvard. Um, and she noticed in Pakistan, some of the girls in poorer neighborhoods menstruated later than the ones in the more well-to-do neighborhoods. And that's what the first time we had that correlation around nutrition, fat, and reproduction. Mm. So, uh, yeah, very important for our, our brains, our reproductive uh, systems and for girls and their bones, it actually has more of an effect on female bones than male bones. The amount of fat that you have. Wow! Yeah. So fascinating, super fascinating stuff. Um, so before we get to some solutions, some things to think about, yeah. I also want to talk about this kind of glorified fat gene, right? This FTO gene. Oh, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So the FTO gene, a certain mutation of it, drives people to want to eat more fatty foods. Oddly enough, right? And so, they did some experiments in Britain where um, they gave everyone, uh, all the kids, could go off to a buffet and they could eat whatever they wanted to. And they noticed uh, certain kids with an aberration in their FTO gene, they went after the fattier foods more. And, uh, you know, obviously they were more fat because of it. And so, uh, you know, our genes have a certain role in it. There's another another gene called IRS1, right? And uh, men with a certain uh, variation of it tend to store more fat. They just get fatter. Um, and men with a different variation, they're, they tend to not get so fat, but they have more fats hanging around in their blood. Mm-hmm. So it's as if their body's not sequestering it into fat tissue. And so, you know, in that in that case, the men who have that the certain variant, um, you know, virus one and store more fat, they're healthier. They're fatter but healthier in those cases. So our genes, you know, they have an effect on our behavior um, and they have an effect in how our body's metabolizing. So your genetic profile is another big factor into how much fat you're going to have. All right. What do we do? What are, <laughs> what are like two or three things yeah. for us to start to be more mindful of? Right. To relate to fat better and to have a better kind of fat ratio. Yeah. So I think one thing that helps people is understand what kind of fat you have. I mean, if you're a 22-year-old male who's gained, you know, 20 pounds, say, um, but you're otherwise healthy, you can have a much easier time losing fat than a 55-year-old woman who's now become menopausal, you know, has had a couple of kids. There's just a whole different profile to that. Um, women in, in general tend to be more fat. And I think for personal trainers who work with people, it's really important also to diagnose the type of fat your client has. Um, you know, where's their, their uh, hormone level right now? Are they declining in, in testosterone? As we age, our hormones decrease, right? It becomes much harder to lose, lose fat. Testosterone, estrogen, they're fat-burning hormones. So older people will have a harder time losing weight um, than younger people. You know, also the genetic component, you know, look around your history. Like, what was your family like? Did they have a certain challenge with fat? Did they, you know, try very hard, diet a lot, and still weren't able to lose that much? I think once you know if you have easy fat or difficult fat, you know how to up the ante on your diet. And this is what helped me is that 
um, I understood everything now. So I, I have a number of these issues. You know, I'm a, a middle-aged female. I've had a couple of kids. My hormones are on decline. I just have to try harder. And what it helped me do was be less frustrated with diets. Not every diet is going to work for everybody. Um, if you have more stubborn fat like I do, what I found that worked phenomenally well was intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, you just If you stop eating for a good 16 to 18 hours a day, so like say stop eating at 3 o'clock, don't eat till the next morning, 3 or 4 o'clock, and don't eat till the next morning, um, it does a number of things. One is it increases, you know, glucagon, which is going to, um, you know, burn, burn through fat. Uh, your growth hormone peaks at night. And so the more you are able to uh, extend the fasting window, it helps that because when we eat, we mitigate growth hormone effect in our body and growth hormone will really help us through fat. That's another, another great thing about it. Um, and then also, um, you know, ghrelin and growth hormone go together. So when we're hungry overnight, it's actually promoting growth hormone and, and, and busting through that as well. And amazingly, intermittent fasting helps control appetite. You're not as hungry after about five days of intermittent fasting as you are in the beginning. So, but you don't have to take that measure. Again, if you're a young, you know, male who's otherwise healthy and just needs, you could probably just exercise more and it'll, it'll come off faster. And so I think, you know, that understanding the range, it helps coaches, it helps people just know how hard you have to work at it, how to not be frustrated if you didn't lose anything for the first six weeks, right? That can be very normal if you've got very stubborn fat. You might have to work harder at it than some other people. You might have to eat less. You might have to be more careful about what you eat compared to other people. You might have to exercise just a bit more. So there's a range. (laughs) There's a range for all of us, and there's just so much variability, and one diet just does not fit all. You really have to customize it for yourself. So true. Yeah, Yeah. and you did such a wonderful job of helping us to better relate to fat. Yeah. And one of the last things you talked about is mind over fat. That's right. And uh, I'd love if, you know, it's the last thing I would like to talk with you about. There's so many things I want to ask you about, but uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so mind over fat. There's, you know, our our psychology is such a big part of dieting, right? How strong we feel, how confident we feel. um, And and to know about, you know, certain ways that our, our minds give up on an effort and to be able to control that is really an important component of it. And, you know, a lot of this has to do with willpower. People don't like to hear it. They think it's trite. It's old-fashioned to ever say that. But honestly, if I gave you a diet where I told you to eat cake every day, cake and candy <laughs> and potato chips, and that was your diet, you'd actually have trouble staying on it because after five days, you would want other things, right? Yeah. So even in the most luxurious diet, um, you have you need self-control uh, to, not, to not just go and do whatever it is you have an urge to do at that moment. And so there are ways to build that up. And there's some very good um, research actually done on, on kind of willpower and restraint and decision-making. And you could think of willpower as a muscle. Um, you know, the more you do it, the stronger you get at it. And, and you can just build it slowly. I mean, you could start by just a small task of making your bed every day, right? It's, it's now you're using willpower. And that helps actually build it up. And, um, you know, there's a number of exercises and examples I talk about in the book about how to build up willpower. Um, and those, you know, those are some of them. People who, they use tricks also to help themselves. If a person has an audiobook they like, and they only leave it at the gym, right? And they have to go to the gym to listen to it. They will actually go to the gym by far more frequently than mm-hmm. someone who's not checked it in and put it into the gym, yeah. right? And, and the more frequently they go, um, what they learned in this, this research is when they took the audiobooks away, those people still went to the gym more because it's now become a habit, right? Um, there's things like temptation coupling where you, you pair a, a 
uh, unpleasant activity with a pleasant one. So, you know, something like an audiobook at the gym, you, know, mm-hmm. you get to hear this kind of whatever juicy novel you have, you know, mm-hmm. while you're exercising is also shades good. Of gray. That's right. But you can only listen to it if you exercise, right? So <laughs> that helps as well. And then, you know, well, some of the more important things are the negative emotions we have. So dichotomous thinking is one that I think is really important. And that's where if I've, if I've made a mistake, there's no point in trying anymore. I might as well just give up. And people do this a lot with dieting. And women are more prone to this than men are. So, you know, I had ice cream. Oh, I might as well have it again tomorrow because I had it yesterday. And now now I've had it two days in a row. And now it's all over. And I can't lose weight. And I'm just going to binge for the next five days. And this is really typical. And so that slippery slope kind of thinking, it's not just bad for your weight. It actually leads to more depression and anxiety. And the more you're able to forgive yourself when you're dieting, the better your diet's going to be, the more effective you're going to be. And some of the doctors I know that run obesity clinics, this is a big part of what they coach people. This is a big part of their success, actually, is that they're able to talk to a patient and say, okay, you had ice cream, no big deal, get back on. You don't want to gain the five pounds you have back. And interestingly, just that an authority figure telling them that, giving them the, um, you know, the ability to forgive themselves actually helps them stay on their diet. So there, there has to be a component of self-love as you go about this very you know, serious and um, difficult endeavor of trying to lose, say, 20 pounds or so. It will be a long haul. It won't be perfect. You'll go off sometimes, and you have to love yourself and forgive yourself enough to know that you're still, you're still fine if you come off. And so anyway, I thought that was a really good one because I know I've been prone to that in the past where, you know, around Christmas time, like, uh, you know, what's the point? I'm just going <laughs> to eat more tomorrow. But um, I, th- I think knowing that you can just, you can go on, come off and still be okay yeah. and still be on your path was really good to know. I love it so much. Yeah. Listen, I-, I shared this with you already, but I think that this book is phenomenal. It's one of the, it, it is the book on the subject matter. Yeah. And I just appreciate you taking the time and putting your insight and your passion, your work into making this possible for all of us to enjoy. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Yeah, it's very full, very full of information. So I'm glad you liked it. Thank you. Yeah. So can you let everybody know where they can pick up your book and also where they can connect with you online? Yeah, sounds good. So the book's available on Amazon. Um, It's available at Barnes & Noble as well. Um, available in paperback and hardback. Um, and so that that's great. still available out there. And also an Audible and an app for Kindle. Um, you can connect to me. People get to me on Facebook. It's at Sylvia Terra, PhD, um, on Twitter as well. And uh, you can go to www.science, no, www.secretlifeoffat.com. And I think there's an email in there as well that you can get to me on. So uh, yeah, and I do respond. It give me a few days, but I usually get back to people. Awesome. Yeah. Thank yeah. you again for coming to hang out with us. Thank you. Nice awesome. to be here. Everybody, thank you for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. This book is so good, so insightful. And this was just, again, just a, a, a smidgen of what she's captured here. And this, it's such an interesting topic because, again, we, like we talked about in the beginning, um, fat has just become like public enemy number one. And we really just don't have the whole story. And so it's really helped with that and, and breaking down those kind of walls. And one of the things that we didn't really get to talk about today is how having a healthy amount of body fat, even a little bit more than you think, is associated with a longer lifespan. All right? This is something that we get into that conversation about you know, how much body fat is actually healthy versus what is idealistic. And for some of us, you know, we're, we're looking at these ideas out there as far as like what's pushed to us through media, which is changing, which is so beautiful. And understanding, you know, having a little something to to pull on, to hang on, to squeeze and pinch, it's not all that bad. As a matter of fact, it's pretty beautiful. 
and not just as far as our appearance and looking like somebody who's healthy, because that's what we really got to work on, but literally for your health and well-being. And we talked just a little bit about the impact of leptin has on so many different aspects of your health, from your the size of your brain to your bones, and the list goes on and on. But leptin is made by fat, by body fat. And so when you hear the stories about, you know, he's got, you know, he doesn't have any fat on him, he's got 2% body fat, that's not cool. That's not healthy. It's not sustainable. And something negative is going to result, you know? And I've been that guy. Like, I was literally 4% body fat at one point, And I was not the best version of myself, all right? It's not, it, it's, again, it's a thing. It's a thing that we can accomplish. We can see what the human body can do. But we really need to begin to, to approach health in a more holistic fashion because there's a difference between fitness and health. I was very, very fit, but I was not very healthy. All right. I was close to healthy, you know, with some of the lifestyle factors I was doing. But, you know, so us changing our idea about fat is just such an important thing. And I'm just very grateful to, to have her on today. And so hope you enjoyed this. And one other quick thing, when she mentioned about having the diet of ice cream and candy for a few days, that's the Macaulay Culkin diet. All right. Like we, I dreamed about that. When I was a kid and I saw him alone, I was like, I want, I, I want to do that. And once I became an adult, I was a guy who did it, all right? I just went, once I got out of the house, I'm doing fast food all the time, getting all this, you know, Mike and Nikes, all right, all this stuff. And after a few days, like, my body just wanted broccoli, you know? It just, there's an intelligence there that we can fight against, but the reality is your body is constantly giving us signals and information to diversify things and to really take care of ourselves, so... I hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. And if you did, please share it out with your friends and family on social media. And of course, you could tag me. And uh, listen, this is just the beginning. All right, we're just getting started here with what's coming for you. So make sure to tune in to the next episode because I got something really, really powerful coming up. We got some incredible guests and show topics that you're absolutely going to love. So make sure to stay tuned. All right. I appreciate you so much for tuning in. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.